Well, we've come to the end of a wonderful series in the book of Ruth, and the story has been building to the climax that we've reached here in chapter 4. If you'll remember, two weeks ago, Pastor Stringer was preaching, and we ended with Ruth 3. And at the end of that story, Ruth had come to the threshing floor and had sought redemption from Boaz. And now we see Boaz in hot pursuit of Ruth's redemption. So we're going to read this story in its full, Ruth 4, 1 to 22. This is God's word. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought, bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. 
And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Let's come before him and ask him to speak to us. Lord, that is our prayer. This is your word, and it is powerful to cut to the depth of who we are. So we ask that you would do that now for us. Help us to be changed as we hear your word and understand it. And help us to marvel in you, our great Redeemer. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it was a wonderful redemption story. It was a story that none of us really thought would ever come to be. But two summers ago, about this time, many of us got caught up in this story, so much so that we adjusted our lives because of it. By now, you probably know what I'm talking about. The 2016 run of the Chicago Cubs to the championship. These lovable losers had been losing for over a hundred years. Their last championship was in 1908. Some conspiracy theorists thought some mythical curse of a billy goat was the reason for this demise in this franchise. They thought the franchise could never be redeemed. They were destined for failure. And that's why in the summer of 2016... When we saw that the curse might be broken, we joined in to the euphoria. Many of us, people like me who hadn't watched a game in years, suddenly were fans of guys named Bryant and Baez. Some of us had never watched a game for maybe decades, but we still hung W flags outside of our house every time the Cubs would win and put little suction cups on our cars so that the W flag could fly. Many of you memorized the Go Cubs Go victory song and watch parties were springing up all over town. I remember on that last night, on the night of game seven, that huge game, I went to visit someone right here from College Church in the hospital and they were in a medical emergency, that's why they're in the hospital. And lo and behold, I look up and, and there's game seven. And so we watched for a while and I left and I went to someone else's house. Some of you were there and we stayed up far too late or far too early because it went into the next day and you know the ending. The last inning of the last game, the Cubs, the Chicago Cubs won the world championship. It was a redemption story. Now I realize some of you aren't even sports fans and you think it's crazy. And this is a trivial story about redemption and how an entire city would rally around something as unimportant as baseball. 
But I do believe it reveals something about us as human beings, something much deeper, and that's that we're all hardwired by God to be part of redemption stories that are bigger than ourselves. What do I mean by redemption stories? These are stories where those without a chance are given real hope. Those that are destined for death are given life. Those who are vulnerable are rescued by a strong deliverer, a redeemer. And that redeemer buys back or pays for the redemption of the people. Well, today as we close out the book of Ruth in chapter 4, we're told three unexpected redemption stories right here in the text. Starting very personally and expanding outwards to the entire nation of Israel as one large redemption story from God is revealed. So here's how the text breaks down. In verses 1 to 12, we're told the personal redemption story of Ruth and her extended family. Then in verses 13 to 17, we're told the redemption story of Naomi. And then in verses 18 to 22, we're told this redemption story for the entire nation of Israel. And it's in the process of retelling these three redemption stories that we'll see how God is calling us to play a part of the greatest story the world has ever known. Like I said, there's these three redemption stories, and in each story we learn a lesson about God's redemption. So let's unpack lesson number one from verses 1 to 12, and that's that redemption requires sacrifice. Redemption requires sacrifice. Look with me in verse 1. We find ourselves with Boaz at the city gate. Following his encounter with Ruth the night before, Boaz is now actively pursuing Ruth's redemption. And in God's perfect timing, Naomi's closest relative, the nearest potential redeemer, happens to walk by. Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. Now, a more accurate translation for that word friend, scholars tell us, would be something of the scholarly sort, so-and-so. He's saying, okay, Mr. So-and-so, turn aside here. Well, here Boaz isn't experiencing that moment that many of us dread when we come to church. When you know someone's name and you're right there face to face with them and all of a sudden you draw a blank. And you say, hey, man, (laughs) how's it going? How are you doing? And you avoid names as much as possible. We've all had that moment. It might have happened to you just as you walked in. That's not what's happening here. Instead, the author has chosen to edit this name. Boaz knew who this was. And here in this story where names are very important, the author has chosen to withhold this name on purpose. And with that simple edit, Mr. So-and-so's name, I'm going to call him Mr. So-and-so, his name is lost for all history. He's essentially written out of the story. We'll come back to that in a minute, but for now, just note the significance of this omission in this book where names are extremely important. So Boaz pulls Mr. So-and-so aside with the 10 elders of the city in this impromptu business meeting. The city gate often doubled as city hall, and many times at the city gate there were benches built in 
so that these kind of business meetings could happen. So Boaz gathers this quorum. He lays out the issue before the Redeemer. He explains to Mr. So-and-so that Naomi is selling Elimelech's land. And Mr. So-and-so has the right to redeem it, to buy it back from the hand of Naomi. So at least the land would stay in the family. You'll know at this time, land was extremely important to the people of Israel. If your land didn't get passed from generation to generation, it was a chance that your name could not get passed to the next generation. And, and that could be seen as a curse and you'd be forgotten forever. According to God's law in Deuteronomy 25, if a man died without sons, his oldest brother would be required to marry his widow and raise up a son for him so that the deceased man land would stay in, in the family and not be lost forever. So in this particular case, as we learned in chapter 1, Elimelech, the patriarch of the family, had died. And his two sons also died, and they had no children. And so with his no sons and no potential inheritance, the family name was in danger of being lost forever. So what was going through Mr. So-and-so's mind? Well, we don't know for sure, but I suspect he was thinking, I've hit the jackpot. If he knew Naomi, he knew that Naomi was past childbearing age. He knew that there was no heir. There was no surviving sons. So sure, he would need to purchase the land, but after Naomi died, that land would be added to his inheritance since she had no heir. And at the end of verse 4, because of this, he says, I will redeem it. Sure, I'll take that deal. Well, at this point, the love story that's been on this wonderful trajectory we're rooting for Ruth and Boaz. All of a sudden it comes screeching to a halt. What do you mean? Mr. So-and-so is going to redeem the land? Get out of the way, dude. We, wanna, we want Boaz and, and Ruth to get together. Well, thankfully, Boaz agreed and God agreed. So we see what happens next. Boaz, being the shrewd businessman that he was, he adds the kicker. He says, oh, yeah. Forgot to tell you, Mr. So-and-so, when you buy that land, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So with that simple phrase, Boaz drops a bomb into this situation. Mr. So-and-so immediately backtracks once he learns the full extent of the agreement. Ruth changes the deal. Adding her is far too costly. He realizes he would need to provide for not just Naomi, but now Ruth as widows. He needs to raise up a son so that their name could be passed along. And this would all come out of his own pocket. And as he thinks about his pockets, he realizes they're not that deep. He doesn't want to impair his own inheritance. He doesn't want his own name to be blotted out. And so he says, no, that, that cost is too much. I can't make that sacrifice. And in verse 6, he says, I can't redeem it for myself. Lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption, Boaz. I cannot redeem it. Well, here we're confronted with the stark difference between the kind and generous and self-sacrificing love of Boaz with the self-focused, the protective and insulative love and outlook not love, just outlook of Mr. So-and-so. As we've been learning, redemption requires sacrifice. It's costly. 
And Mr. So-and-so is not willing to pay that cost. But Boaz is willing. He has counted the cost. He wants to sacrifice for Ruth and the family. So in the next verses, the transaction becomes official through the exchange of the sandal. Man, don't you wish that that practice was still going on today? They didn't sign contracts back then. You just got some guy's sandal. So he takes the grubby sandal of Mr. So-and-so. He holds it up and in front of the elders of the city and the rest of the town people, he proclaims. He says, I will redeem. I will buy back all that belonged to Elimelech's family, Ruth, and I will make Ruth my wife and carry on Elimelech's family name. What a wonderful love story, isn't it? Well, friends, we we must not just chalk this up to a, a wonderful love story and a story of redemption for Ruth and Boaz because God himself, in his kindness, is speaking to us through this story. You see, Boaz picking up the mantle of Redeemer is just a small foretaste of the great Redeemer who came to purchase redemption for you and me, Jesus Christ. Like Ruth, we are in desperate need of a Redeemer. Remember what the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians 2, that because of our sin, because of our disobedience against God, without Christ as our Redeemer, we are dead. Dead people don't have a lot of hope. They're in a a desperate situation. We are dead. We are by nature children of God's wrath. It doesn't get more desperate than that. But the good news that we learn shouted here in Ruth and trumpeted from the entire scriptures is that God will provide a redeemer. And he himself is that redeemer. In a far greater way than Boaz pursued Ruth, God has pursued us for redemption in Christ. Listen to what Paul says again in Ephesians 2 and verse 4. After saying, yes, you're dead. Yes, you're children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Just let that soak in for you afresh this morning. That Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Holy One, came to pursue you to purchase your redemption, to be mocked, ridiculed, beaten, and ultimately killed, and to take God's wrath upon himself for you and for me. So Paul says again in Ephesians, we have redemption through his blood. See, his blood redeemed us because it satisfied God's wrath against our sin. Jesus has brought redemption. But if we know these facts, that's great. The work has been done, but it's not enough that we know this is true. It's great you're here at church, but have you received this redemption for yourself? 
The price has been paid, but is this a reality for you? How can you have this redemption? Well, I'm glad you asked. You can have it by repenting of your sin and your disobedience against God. That means turning from following your own ways of life and your own, way, your own thinking and confessing to God and turning to Jesus Christ, surrendering your life to him and trusting in him. And I'm sure there's some people this morning that have not done that yet. Coming to church will not redeem you. Jesus Christ is the only one who can redeem you. So will you trust in him today? If you want to do that, I would love to talk with you afterwards. You can pray a simple prayer and we would be glad to tell you how to do that. But if you're here this morning, I'm assuming that many of you are here because you have been redeemed. We need to hear the story again and again, but what, what is in it for us here? What are some implications that Jesus is a redeemer? And what is some application from this particular redemption story in Ruth? Well, let me suggest two. First, let this redemption story realign your thinking because you're not your own. Remember what happened to Ruth. When she was redeemed, everything about her changed. She went from a, a servant girl to the wife of a respected man in town. She went from poor to being rich. She went from a foreigner to being an accepted part of the community that was, if you look back in verse 11, prayed for that she might become like one of the matriarchs of Israel, like Rachel and Leah. She had a home. She had a place. Everything had changed for her because of her redemption. And follower of a Christ, the same is true for you. When you committed your life to Christ, everything changed. You went from a slave to a son or a daughter of God. Church, we have become the bride of Christ. We've become members of his body. We've gone from condemned to forgiven. We've gone from bondage to freedom. Everything has changed. Maybe you need to apply what Romans 12:2 says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let this redemption story realign your thinking, but also let it realign your living. Walk as a Boaz and not as a Mr. So-and-so. You know, this Mr. So-and-so is a curious character. He was probably not unlike many of us. He was a planner. He did cost-benefit analysis. He had a decision before him, and he decided not to live self-sacrificially because he thought it was going to impact his family and his own inheritance. But what was the result of his decision? He remained anonymous for all of history. Isn't that ironic? He wanted his family to receive an inheritance. He wanted his name to continue, but with his decision, he is now anonymous. Well, let me urge you from this passage not to be a Mr. So-and-so. 
God is calling each one of us to live faithfully, by faith, and to be a Boaz. So how can you take a Boaz step of faith even today? Well, maybe God is calling you as a family to adopt. And maybe you have this Mr. So-and-so voice in your head. Well, we're, 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 it's too expensive to do that. We're, we're a little bit too old to adopt. Will you take a, a Boaz step of faith? Or maybe he's calling you to give generously and sacrificially of your time and service of your resources, but, your, but Mr. So-and-so voice here is saying, well, you know, we, we need to balance the budget. That's not going to make any sense to do that. I, I don't really have time for that. God brought this opportunity for Boaz to be faithful, and he was. And he also brought an opportunity for Mr. So-and-so, and he chose to go the other way. So take that next step of faith and be a Boaz. So that's our first redemption story. And in that story, we see that redemption requires sacrifice. Now we're going on to the next one in verses 13 to 17. And here we see a second lesson about God's redemption. It's revealed to us, and it's this, that redemption brings abundant blessing. Look with me at verse 13. We read that the Lord gave her, meaning Ruth, conception, and she bore a son. You may remember that Ruth was infertile for 10 years before this time back in Moab. She was married but couldn't bear a child. And the people and the townspeople had prayed that she might become fruitful, and God has now answered that prayer in verse 13. But really, this redemption story is about Naomi. Because Naomi, if you remember, has gone from death to life. At the beginning of the story, she was hit with major loss and difficulty. She lost her home and had to move. She lost her husband to death. And then 10 years later, she lost both of her sons. She told the people she went away full and she came back empty. She thought the hand of the Lord was against her. And so she told the people of Bethlehem when she came back into town, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter. Hand of the Lord's against me. But now those same women of the town are surrounding Naomi. And Naomi's not talking to them. The women are talking to her and they're celebrating with her. And now they're showing her how she has gone from bitter to blessed. Look what they say in verse 14. Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. See, Naomi thought her story was over. She was in a desperate circumstance. She was past her prime. Nobody would remember her. There was no hope for her. And maybe some of you this morning can identify with Naomi back in chapter 1. You feel like life has dealt you a blow in such a way that you think the, the hand of God is against you. You feel like maybe you are past your prime, that people have forgotten you, and you don't know your worth here on earth. Well, let this story of Naomi encourage you today. Because God has not left you behind. 
He is still actively at work, even when we don't see his hand upon us, even in the most darkest of times. We see that God was at work in Naomi's life, even when she thought she was empty, even when she thought there was desperation. Notice what the women say about Ruth in verse 15. Your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. When, Ruth, when Naomi came back with Ruth, she thought, I come, I'm coming back with nothing. Just this Moabite daughter-in-law who loves me, but that, that's really nothing. But Ruth was the very one that God was going to use to bring about her redemption. Well, so what can we learn from this redemption story of Naomi? Two things, I believe. First, we can be encouraged. We can be encouraged because God is at work even if we don't see it. His hand is moving forward. His plan is advancing and he cares about you even when you don't see it. And second, we can be reminded. Be reminded that God is able to do far more abundantly than you could ever ask or think. Now, it doesn't always work out like it worked out for Naomi. We don't always see that kind of situation play out, but there will always be abundant blessing because of the redemption of the Lord. And sometimes that blessing won't come until we see the Lord face to face. So that's lesson number two in our second redemption story. And that's that redemption brings abundant blessing. Now let's, thir- let's turn to this third and final redemption story in verses 18 to 22. You'll notice the scale of redemption keeps increasing. We've got this particular family in, in town and now it's being extended to the entire nation of Israel. And it's in this third redemption story we learn the third lesson about God's redemption and that's that through redemption God accomplishes his purposes. It's through redemption that God accomplishes his purposes. Well, I'll say out loud with what some of you may be thinking. You know, this has been a great series in Ruth. We love the story of Ruth. Now, why in the world does it end with a genealogy? When I was little, I used to, when I began, started to read the Bible, I would get to a genealogy in the Old Testament, and I thought God was surely punishing me for reading the Bible. Maybe you've had that feeling. Well, as I've grown older and a little more mature, I realize that, no, it's through genealogy that God tells a story. And he tells a great story in a very short amount of time. And with these few names, God is telling a story about the nation of Israel and how he is accomplishing his purposes through sinful human beings. So look at what the author does. Look how he starts off the genealogy. First thing we notice in verse 18 is that he purposely begins with Perez. And you're thinking, what? Why Perez? I mean, he's mentioned in verse 12, and it says, may your house be like the house of Perez. But Perez, really? It's, it's a curious start. Could have started with Judah, you know, the lion from the tribe of Judah. Could have started with Jacob, but he starts with Perez, that twin, the one who was one of the twin boys born to Tamar and Judah. 
It was another notable case of a relative continuing the family name, but, but that was a scandalous variety. You remember back in Genesis 38 that Tamar was married to Judah's son and he died. And so because of uh, the way God had set it up at those times, Tamar should have been married to the next son. And, and, but that son didn't want to raise up an offspring, so God killed him. So now there's a third son of Judah, and Judah didn't want to lose another son, so he kept him from Tamar. So Tamar disguised herself and took matters into her own hands and lured Judah, and lo and behold, she became pregnant, and Perez came to be. And it's through this tragedy and this sin and this deception that the family line has been built. It's a checkered family history. But which of us don't have a checkered family history? We're a broken people in a broken world. I believe the author is showing us from the beginning of the nation of Israel, from its very early stages with Judah and Perez, that he uses broken people and broken situations to accomplish his purposes. It's through this genealogy that we say, see through the beginning of the nation all the way through the Exodus and through this time of the judges, if you remember, when there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes, God was working his plan even though we couldn't see it as clearly as we can now. And ultimately we see that this genealogy leads us to a king to a faithful king, David, the great king of Israel. So this period of Ruth is pointing forward to a time where God will provide a king. But then, lo and behold, the king fails. David isn't the rescuer and the deliverer we need. We need one from his line who will reign forever and ever, who will never disappoint, who will never fail us who will reign in justice and righteousness and truth forever. And that's the man, Jesus Christ. So what do we get from this genealogy and what do we get from the book of Ruth? We ultimately get that the whole story is pointing to this one place and the place is Jesus Christ as a redeemer. Jesus is to be praised He uses you and me in our ordinary, mundane lives to accomplish the greatest redemption story the world has ever known. Well, what can we take away from this last redemption story, this genealogy? Let me suggest two things. First, we learn that the story that is written for us, this life on earth, is not about us. Life's not about you. You know, you're not going to hear that a lot in our society. Our society is going to say, hey, you're great. You should have some good self-esteem. You're going to change the world. But life really isn't about you. It's not about me. It's about God. You know, my birthday is on Christmas Day. And as a kid, every year, near the end of the day on Christmas Day, I remember getting this sense of dread because the long-awaited day was over, and there was no presents coming for a whole entire year. 
And as I got older, I realized more fully that Christmas actually wasn't about me. It was about Jesus. And maybe this morning you need to be reminded that God's story is not about you. Sure, it involves you, but it's about Jesus. You serve a God who cares about the very littlest details of your life, who knows the very number of hairs on your head, but who also at the same time rules the world and brings about his global purposes, which is ultimately salvation through Jesus Christ, something that we will be marveling at for all eternity. So you may not know the reason for the things you're going through right now until you get to heaven because the story is not finished and it's not ultimately about you. Well, that's kind of a downer, but although the story is not about you, the second takeaway is that God invites you to play a key role in this story. Don't you realize that if the Lord doesn't come back, you will be someone's great-great-grandmother or grandfather, even if you're a, a little kid here today. Even if you don't have children, you could be someone's great-great-grandmother or grandfather, spiritually speaking. You are part of a family tree. You have been grafted in to a story. So how might God be calling you to invest, even today, in the next generation? What, he might, what might he want to do through you in your family to be the person who kind of stop the generation of divorce within your family so you could be faithful? What might he do through you in this church, in our youth ministry, in our children's ministry, in our stars, in our one-on-one discipleship? There's all sorts of opportunities to be part of this story, to join in. God has a plan for you to keep his redemption story going. He's invited you in, but it's not to sit around. It's to be part of what he's doing. Well, there we have it. Three redemption stories, all pointing to this climax of Jesus Christ as a redeemer. The text teaches us this overarching message today, the the text in Ruth 4, is that the Redeemer is pursuing you to bring about his plan of redemption, his global plan of redemption, to be part of this plan. The Redeemer is pursuing you. So as we close, will you enter into God's redemptive story? If you haven't already, the first thing you need to do is enter through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you have done that, you are called to act as God's faithful agent of redemption, as God's spirit works in you to do the things that he's called you to do from before time began. Are you gonna be an agent of God's redemption and be faithful like Boaz? Are you gonna kind of shrink back, be self-protective, do your own thing like Mr. So-and-so? If you're in Christ, you're part of something much bigger than a sports team winning a championship. You're invited to be part of God's plan to redeem the world. 
When you join in that plan to, to be part of his plan, you'll be part of a story that's bigger or better, more full and more joy-filled than you could ever imagine. Let's pray together. Father, we stand in awe of you, the author of this incredible book of Ruth, but the entire story of Scripture and the entire story of history. We see that redemption is found in you, that you are the author of redemption, Lord, and that all of these stories ultimately part point right to you, and they leave us in awe, wanting to worship. So we thank you. We thank you for pursuing us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you that you've invited us in. Lord, help us to know how many we might go from this place in the power of the Spirit to do and be part of those redemption stories that you've called us to be a part of. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.